0: Welcome to the next episode in the Cancer in the Developing World podcast series. By 2020, there are expected to be 16 million new cases of cancer every year, 70% of which will occur in the world's poorest countries. This podcast series examines Oxford University's efforts to support the improvement of cancer care in these countries. Today I'm talking to Dr Ken Fleming, a leading pathologist at Oxford University. His research focuses on the pathogenesis of liver and biliary diseases and on the development of molecular pathology techniques. In 1997 he was appointed the first Dean of Clinical Medicine at Oxford and subsequently between 2000 and 2008 he was the first head of the Medical Sciences Division at the University of Oxford. He's currently the head of the Clinical Academic Training Program for the Oxford Postgraduate Deanery and he has, over the past few years, taken a particular interest in global health and is especially interested in the challenge of building capacity in pathology in developing countries. He is also currently a board member of AFROX, an organisation set up by Oxford University to improve cancer care in Africa. Ken, as a pathologist, what led you to take an interest in the problems of cancer in developing countries?
1: I suppose my interest really was sparked by, when I was head of medical sciences in Oxford, one of the things I discovered was that we had a very large, extensive network of uh, medical people working in the tropics and third world countries, sub-Saharan Africa, partly East Asia, sorry East, East Africa, East Southeast Asia, and, and various other places. And uh, I became interested in what they were doing, and talking to them about their problems. They said they had three things they had particular difficulty with, and they called them the three P's. So the three P's stood for Physiology, Pharmacology and Pathology and these are the three areas which they were really short of in support in terms of uh, making their research more relevant. Now I'm a pathologist by training so I thought well, that's interesting and maybe I might be able to do something about the last of those P's namely Pathology, partly as Head of Division but subsequently when I finish from that post I might be able to help develop some Pathology capacity in the Third World. And that really is what sparked my particular interest. And from there I developed a variety of uh, interests further.
0: So for our listeners who aren't specialists in the medical field, could you explain what pathology is?
1: Yes, pathology uh, has got a variety of definitions, but it's really the the science of disease. So it's understanding why things happen, why diseases happen, how they happen, what the mechanisms are, a cellular, molecular basis uh, and so on. It's actually trying to understand the science behind the cure or the diagnosis. And there are a variety of branches of pathology. I think there might even be seven or more specialisms now. But I'm a cell pathologist, a histopathologist. So I look at tissue sections, uh, my microscopic slides of tissue sections, as well as gross of anatomy. You then get microbiologists who look at microorganisms. You get chemical pathologists who look at the chemistry of the blood uh, and other tissues or other uh, fluids within the body. You get hematologists, immunologists, geneticists, and so on. So they're all sciences which are the basis of understanding the mechanism and, and potential cures of disease.
0: And how's pathology important in the context of cancer care?
1: Well, of course I'm biased, wouldn't I? But uh, in, certainly in in Western countries or in developed countries, uh, it's be very very unusual for a patient to have a diagnosis of cancer and a treatment instigated for that cancer without a tissue diagnosis, uh, a piece of tissue taken from the patient and the pathologist then, in my case, a cell pathologist, looking at that tissue. And why do I look at it? Well, I want to do probably two or perhaps three things. First of all, I want to confirm, is it in fact a tumour? Is that tumour benign or malignant? What type of tumour it is? Because a There's a great variety of different types of tumours, so even for instance in a breast tumour there will be several different types of breast tumour, each of which has their own possible causes but also has potential differences in the progression, the prognosis response to therapy. They also look at tissue tumours to try and identify what's called the stage of the tumour. So the bigger the tumour, the more it's spread. Whether it involves, for instance, metastasis to lymph nodes or beyond, all of those are indications as to what the likely prognosis for the patient is and what the response to therapy might be. So really, pathology in cancer is at least histopathology in cancer is a very fundamental component of diagnosis, prognostication, and therapeutic choice for a patient in cancer. So I think it's actually vital. Interesting enough, and partly this is what sparked my interest in pathology in third world countries is, in many of those countries there are actually very limited pathology services and it's likely that a large number of patients who are diagnosed with cancer don't in fact get a tissue diagnosis and that raises questions about whether in fact the diagnosis is correct, probably correct many times but not necessarily always correct, and it also raises questions about what the appropriateness is of the therapy, if any, is given, Uh, what uh, prognosis is given to the patients, what other help is given. So fundamentally, pathology is an absolutely integral part of cancer care in any country. And uh, as I say, my interest in third world is partly sparked by the realisation that that doesn't occur very often.
0: One of the areas that you've been out to work in is Africa. Uh, how do pathology services in the countries that you visited out in Africa compare to those in the UK?
1: Well, clearly there are quite considerable differences. Uh, and the major f- fundamental problem they have, although there a large number of problems, the fundamental problem is that they don't have enough trained people, either pathologists like myself or even technical staff who are involved in... Uh, preparing material for the pathologists to examine and make diagnoses on. They don't have enough equipment. the equipment's not maintained. There aren't enough centres involved in it. Uh, and this is largely probably a resource issue. But it's also, uh, and this is true in the first world as opposed to the third world. Pathology is a bit of a unappreciated discipline, shall we say. Even in this country probably about 5% or less of graduates from a medical school will ultimately become career pathologists. So it's one of the smallest specialties and that's true virtually everywhere and that's true in third world countries as well. So uh, there are a variety of reasons why pathology is relatively less well developed in some countries than in third world countries than in here. But partly a genetic problem of pathology in general but also Uh, particular problems to do with resource lack, as I say, particularly people.
0: So what are some of the initiatives that you've been involved with um, in Africa and in other parts of um, developing countries?
1: Uh, Well there's several ones that I've particularly been involved in. One is uh, trying to help, particularly in the region of East Central and Southern Africa, the local pathologists about probably two maybe three years ago now uh, decided that for a variety of reasons, partly to improve the profile of pathology, partly to improve quality standards, uh, partly to design curricula. that They would set up what's called a College of Pathologists, modelled to some extent on the Royal Colleges of the UK, the Medical Colleges of the UK, the Royal College of Pathologists, which has a responsibility for postgraduate medical education in terms of curriculum development, exams, assessment, registering people and so on. And, at, uh, as I say, about 2004, there was a meeting where the regional pathologists in East Central and Southern Africa decided that they thought this was one way of where it had been an important step to improve the standing and the, the presence of pathology in, in that region. I found out about this about maybe going on for a year ago now, and I became very interested now because I thought it seemed to me very much in the long term but it was very much the right thing to be doing because it was for the local initiative It had a great majority of support of uh, pathologists in the region and it would be something which in the long run would be greatly to the benefit of the discipline to the specialty. So what I've been trying to do is to help support uh, the people in the district and the region to come deliver this College of Pathologists. So what I've done in that, I've talked to a variety of people, I've involved a Royal College of Pathologists in the UK through their Vice President in charge of International Affairs. I've also in, involved the what's called the British Division of the International Academy of Pathology, who again, both organisations are very interested in trying to support this initiative. And we are going out to a meeting of the steering group uh, of the local pathologists in early August this year, 2009 where they're going to take the, uh, the initiative to the next step and uh, hopefully we can provide them with some advice and help about some of the issues to do with setting up a, a college of pathology. So that's one. Another one I've been particularly interested in is actually trying to help postgraduate uh, curriculum development and delivery and this is a, a real problem where the programs, the curricula which they people locally and particularly in Tanzania and Kenya have been developing. Um, There are some issues to do with they don't get enough people recruited into them. The programmes they run used to have up to a year abroad in a country like the US or the UK, uh, which was a good experience and good uh, education for the people, was an attractive component of the the training programmes that they put together for a variety of reasons in the last few years that's become very difficult partly because of visa restrictions which have been imposed by the likes of the UK on people coming from outside of the EU so that they now no longer have that opportunity they might go to places like the former Soviet Union Romania, Bulgaria and places like that South Africa but they still would be very interested in having the opportunity of having some component of the training in the UK so one of the things I'm trying to do also is to see how we might uh, look at their postgraduate programs for pathology training to see how we could incorporate a, a period abroad, perhaps in the UK, and at the same time, maybe even have a reciprocal arrangement where some of our trainees could go out uh, to replace the individual who's coming here. They would get an experience which perhaps they wouldn't get in you know, their normal UK training, and if that might be a benefit for both parties. So that's a couple of things that I'm interested in.
0: You've also been involved with Afrox. Um, what, have you, um, what have you been doing in, in relation to Afrox?
1: In terms of pathology? Yeah. I suppose there really two things particularly I'm interested in. One is more generally about trying to look to make sure that pathology development is acknowledged or a component of Afrox's uh, mission as it were. And that goes back to my original comments about the importance of pathology in the diagnosis, prevention, prognosis and therapy, etc., of cancer. I think it's a very fundamental component and therefore the think that Aflogs needs to be thinking about those issues. And so uh, I'm really quite keen on that and that's partly about capacity development, helping to train people locally and so on. One other particular area I'm very interested in is what's called cancer registries. These are ways of registering in a country or an area what the incidence and prevalence of particular types of tumours are, and these are terribly important cancer registries because it tells you something about the epidemiology of the particular tumour types. From that you can deduce or make some suggestions about possible causes depending on different geography, different environmental conditions, different uh, ethnic groups, genetic makeup and so on. Um, It can also tell you something about policy decisions in a country if there is a particular tumour which is more common or less common you might think that uh, we need to do something about that. And a good example for instance, is, is cervical cancer, which is clearly established now as a result of an, uh, an infection by papillomavirus. Uh, that's turns out to be very common in many sub-Saharan countries, unlike the UK uh, and other countries, uh, and therefore it turns out to be so common that in fact it should be one of the number one priorities. There is now an effective vaccine to prevent papillomavirus infection. So the, Getting an understanding of the incidence and prevalences of particular tumour types can guide policy decisions about what you want to do at a high level, at a macro level, in a health policy in a country. And the reason why I became interested in registries was it became clear to me, talking to a variety of people, that most registries in most countries are absolutely useless. Because they are founded on very fragmented, very partial data. And going back to my original comments about the relative paucity of pathology diagnoses in many uh, cancer diagnoses in uh, underdeveloped countries. uh, You do wonder how accurate those data are and therefore one of the things I'm particularly interested in is how we might be able to develop a more systemic and systematic involvement of cancer registries which then inform a lot of issues in, uh, in a variety of countries. One other particular one I've got involved in is actually not so much in East Africa but in Sierra Leone in West Africa, uh, which of course is a country which has had considerable difficulties over the last 10-15 years or so Um, and the pathology there has become almost non-existent. But it just so happens that there are opportunities where there is actually one of the pathologists based here in Oxford who has been here for many years and worked and trained here. Who's actually from Sierra Leone and who's very interested in perhaps going back to that country to help rebuild pathology for the country. And this is something that Afrox again might be able to make some contribution to. So we've started to look into how we might uh, facilitate that and how we might support him to go back and help build with some other colleagues there.
0: What are some of the key challenges in trying to improve cancer registries in Africa?
1: Gosh, I guess I think it goes back to, again, people that aren't enough trained people. It's not important enough in terms of finance and backing and resource allocation. Uh, it's, there are too many other, what people would regard as too many other pressing and important issues and prioritisation has to take place and therefore that is not high enough prioritised. And one can understand when you have little or no health care at all, cancer registry has become a less important issue. But from Afrox's particular point of view, which is focusing on trying to improve cancer care in sub-Saharan countries, in my view, pathology and cancer registries are a fundamental component of perhaps a a menu of things that we need to do, but it shouldn't be forgotten.
0: What do you think is the most critical thing that needs to change in order for a difference to be made in pathology services in developing countries?
1: Of course, that's a very, very difficult question, um, and there are probably two answers to that, or two components to the answer. One is the short-term issues. What can you do over the next, say, two to three years, or sort of, uh, two to three, five years? And then what can you do over the long term? Well, the longer term, my personal view is quite clear about this. The only way this is really going to be addressed is by increasing the number of people who are involved in the, the discipline at all levels, whether it be medical or technical or other uh, staff and raising the profile of the discipline and uh, and raising the quality and general availability of it. And that's a long term issue about just training a larger number of people, providing them with facilities and resources to do the job they want to do. In the short term, um, probably some relatively short term things you might to do. I talked a little earlier about uh, taking some of their trainees to the likes of the, the UK and helping. To provide some uh, training for them and replacing them with some of our folks going out there, and there may be some opportunities for uh, senior pathologists, perhaps uh, recently retired or, or people who've got some opportunities to spend time out there to, to set up a program where you people can be selectively placed to provide clinical services in pathology uh, on a short term for you know a few months, a few weeks, a few uh, a year or two. Um, There are other things that they need like equipment, uh, which it might be possible to provide some uh, equipment, some help with for instance the maintenance and equipment, it's uh, not uncommon to find that the equipment is there but it broke down some time ago and nobody knows how to replace it and there's not a contract for replacement. So there might be some issues to do with uh, providing some help with that sort of stuff there may be some help that one can provide in the short term in my particular discipline, in histopathology, cell pathology. You can actually send the, the tissue and or send the microscopic slides to a place, for instance from Africa to here, and the likes of myself might be able to look at it. A more modern equivalent of that is to do what's called telepathology, and this basically means taking the the, the histological microscopic appearances capturing those images on uh, a television monitor or microscope uh, and transmitting that and that can be done very easily it's done quite extensively now and so you can get possibility of getting an expert opinion and an expert uh, view of the diagnosis of the material but the individual or the slide not actually moving from one place to another so there's some things you might be able to do in the short term in providing some immediate uh, help to folks, but in the long run I think the only real solution is to to um, educate a larger cadre of people. Okay, thank you. All
0: right. Yeah, that was great. Thank you.